0: I'm so thankful for the family of God, and, uh, you know, <clears throat> the scripture says we rejoice with those who rejoice, we weep with those who weep, we stand with those who need strength, we laugh, we enjoy each other's company and deep fellowship. <clears throat> One of the things about a family is a family needs a home, is that not true? And uh, <clears throat> we're going to be talking just for a brief couple of weeks here, just about this whole idea of home is here. And uh, I wish I could tell you the journey. I wish I could take the time to tell you story after story, miracle after miracle, heartbreak after heartbreak of what God has done in 23 years with this church family. But I won't because you have to go to work tomorrow. We've embarked on another journey as a church here at Summit, we've had many journeys. And as one of our beloved uh, friends and members says, this is a journey church. It's all about the journey, and we've always been that way. But after almost 15 years, God has opened a door for us to really make 1750 home. We've been in over nine different locations for Sunday morning services, including other services. When we used to have midweek service uh, for believers, we were in 13 different meeting locations. We've used other facilities for all kinds of things. And after COVID, and we weren't allowed to get into the schools, and even when uh, COVID was lifted, they weren't allowing us to. When they decided to let us into the school, they could see you could have one room, a gym, that's it, no classrooms. Then when they opened all of that up, then they increased the price, $650 a week, to $2250 Sunday. It became apparent to us that it was bad stewardship. It was time that we made 1750 our home so that no one could tell us when we could and couldn't meet, where we could and couldn't meet, and we wouldn't be at the whim of everyone else. Even other churches sometimes shut down and we couldn't use theirs. So friends, the Lord led our elders to come to a very, very decisive decision to make 750 home once and for all. I know it's been inconvenient to start here. And uh, we are in two services, and it's cramped, and there's all kinds of not great things about it. But our teams have done some wonderful things to make it possible, don't you think? I'm really, really thankful how they've made technology, how they've done the best with what we have to make it an enjoyable experience. And so I'm very grateful. But as you remember, when you had your first little rental, and you moved into your first tiny little home, sometimes it, you, know, you need to a little bit more space. And so God has opened up an opportunity for us. Instead of going into a major build that's going to come later in a few years, he, asked, he led us to renovate that building right across there. I hope that it's going to be available for you to walk in and have a look around after this. Uh, we are well on our way. Unfortunately, we're not going to be there for Christmas. We were hoping so. But it'll be within the next uh, while. I'll just put it that way. We heard you. We heard you. And we listened to you. And there are going to be some neat things in there. We know that there's washrooms going in. And we know that there's uh, all kinds of things. It's going to be well heated. It's going to be airtight. It's going to be great. And uh, so I just want to say, but it's not the end game. It is going to become a phenomenal multi-use multi-purpose, community use, uh, youth, see all kinds of ministries, and even community purposes can be grown out of that. I think it's going to be great. So, home is here. And this morning, we have an opportunity to learn some principles. The Bible says that what was written in the past was for our instruction and our example. So I just want to say right off the top that while I'm going to be talking about some things in the Older Testament, don't get all hung up and say, well, we're in the Old New Covenant now and this and that. Yeah. They were written for our instruction. That's what the New Testament says. We learn principles from those experiences. And so while uh, we are not under the Old com- Covenant, there are principles we're going to draw from. So we're going to look at God's two building programs. Now, I'm not talking about creation. That obviously was like the big gig. I'm talking about building programs. Did you know that God initiated two building programs? We're going to look at two of them. They're going to span a number of chapters, but we're going to do like the 10,000-foot view, and we're going to skip along to it and hit the high points, okay? So I'm not going to be reading through and studying and exegeting, you know, 13 or 14 chapters at once. Thank the Lord. Two specific builds, and they were the tabernacle and the temple. What can we learn from these two things about our particular thing? So let's look. God's building program. First of all, the tabernacle. It was an intricate structure that had many features of an elaborate tent. It had structure to it. There was substance to it. Multiple areas within it, beautifully designed, but it could be dismantled and moved and then re-erected at other places. So, we're going to trace over a number of chapters of bird's eye view of the process. I've never taught on this. I've never even tried to do this. If this sucks, I'm sorry. But I think it might work. So, we're going to try it together. Exodus chapter 25. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they might take from me a contribution for every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive a contribution for me. So God tells Moses to address the people, exhorting them to give to his building project. So he was to receive from the Lord the resources of those people whose hearts were moved. Verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so shall you make it. So God reveals this plan, and he's teaching them about this designated place set apart for God to meet his people, to dwell in their midst, to consistently manifest his presence to them. And God would show Moses exactly what He is to build and how it's to be built. Verse 22, and there I will meet with you, And from above the mercy seat between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of God. You see, in that dedicated space, God would not only meet with Moses, but he would also speak with him. He would instruct him. The dynamic encounter of God's presence and his direction, the privilege of hearing him and giving his will to his people, verse 43 and 45, there, that's in the tabernacle, I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory, and I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. So it wasn't only for Moses to connect with God, but also that God would meet with his people. God's presence and his glory would set it apart as being holy, that is separate for his purposes. And he promised to dwell with them, to connect with them, to be with them, his people, and he would show himself as their God. Can I ask you a question this morning? Can God meet his people outside of the tabernacle? Yes. Yes, you're right. Be bold. That's right. Yes. God can meet you and his people outside of a building. That's true, isn't it? It is true. Can God manifest his presence and speak to people outside of a tabernacle or a building? Yes? Yes, he can. But here's the mistake of many New Testament Christians. This does not preclude nor prevent God from desiring a dedicated space for the gathered people of God to worship him, to hear him speak, and to be instructed. Just because he can do it outside of that doesn't mean he has no interest in doing it inside. Does that make sense? I wish I could spend more time on that because people would often quote, well, God doesn't dwell in brick, you know, buildings made of brick. That's true. Even in the Older Testament, he never dwelt there. We're going to learn about the great temple that was built and in the dedication prayer, what did Solomon say? The highest heavens cannot contain you, let alone this house I built. It was never a belief that God was limited to a building. So I just want to say that, that just because he wants to do it in there, it doesn't mean he can't do it outside. But just because he can do it outside doesn't mean he doesn't want to do it in dedicated space. Does that make sense? Verse, chapter 35, verses 4-5. So Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever has a, is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. And so the Lord commands the giving. That the people are to take a contribution that is a financial or material gift and they come with it and they are the ones who's generous, with generous hearts to bring it that kind of contribution. It's also, it's just the same principle that's taught in the 2 Corinthians chapter 9 from Paul. We are to do it not grudgingly. So those with a generous heart, bring it. Notice that it's the Lord's contribution. It's not the people's contribution. It doesn't belong to them. We're going to see this more clearly. Verse 21, and they came, and everyone who... whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him brought the Lord a contribution to be used for the tent of the meeting and for all of its service. So the people responded. Their hearts were stirred, their spirits were moved and they brought the Lord's resources for the building program and that all that would be needed within it to serve God and the people. Uh, Verse 29, and all the men and the women of the people of Israel, whose hearts moved them to bring anything from the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. So they were, they, the people were freely and willfully responding to what God wanted them to do. And God wants to do something among his people. He invites us into what he is doing. Remember, the tabernacle was whose idea? God's idea. He planned it. He's given them resources, and he invites them to take his resources and do what God wants to do. This is very different. We often think that God is taking our money, forcing us to do things we don't want to do, and he doesn't want to do. No, no. It's God's money. He wants us to join him in what he wants to do. It's a divine partnership, and he's going to provide to the people, and they are going to provide for the tabernacle. It's a wonderful way it works. Verse 36, chapter 36, verse 3 And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. Now, think about this. The people brought the resources, and he distributed to the workers who were building the tabernacle so they do the work. And God's people responded so strongly, they didn't merely want to give the minimum that they could give. They continued to give of their own free will. And not only when it was all done, they wanted to do it more and more and more. And every day, the resources kept coming as people willfully gave. That reflects the heart of redeemed people. Verse 5 and 7, the Lord or the people bring, this is the workers now, they're saying this back to Moses. The people bring much more than enough for the doing of the work that the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp let no man or woman do anything more for contribution to the sanctuary. Moses had to stand up, command the people, stop giving. Where have you ever heard a, a, a church leader do that? <laughs> what an amazing experience that must have been. What an amazing experience this could be for you and me. Imagine our treasurer getting up here telling us stop giving. Enough is coming. Enough is coming to complete the barn and the road and even extra. So stop the designations. No more. That'd be awesome. Could it happen? Verses 5 and 7, so the, Lord, so the people had restrained him, uh, were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. They were restrained. It's like, it's like everybody, rat, anyone who's ridden a horse, anyone riding a horse that wants to go a certain direction and you don't want them to go there or go so fast, you grab them reins and you pull her back. And that's kind of like the picture I had reading this. The people wanted to, but they had to be, whoa, 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 whoa. Dial it back here. I just love that. There was sufficient to do, notice the word all, all the work. Not some of it, not half of it, all of it. Sufficient and even more. And so in chapter 39, verse 43, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. And as the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. And rightly so. What a beautiful picture. Isn't that amazing? Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Lord was pleased and was evidenced by the manifestation of his presence. His glory filled the tabernacle. You see, the goal was not just a structure. The goal was not merely to build a building. The purpose was that the presence of the Lord would come and fill the place, that people would encounter him, that people would hear him, they would worship him, be transformed by him, grow in him, become like him, and be sent out by him to bless others. And so, too, it is with you and me. And so this was God's first building program. Pretty cool. You okay out there? That's amazing. Here's a second one. This is the temple. 1st Chronicles 17 <clears throat> See, David wanted to build God a temple, but God had a plan to have Solomon build it, so he speaks to the prophet Nathan, and the prophet Nathan brings a word to speak to David, and he says, when your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for me, says the Lord, and I will establish his throne forever forever. For David said, "Solomon, my son is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, of fame and glory throughout the lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David prepared materials in great quantity before his death. So David then worked to use his kingdom's resources to provide for the building. He didn't get upset that he couldn't build it. He didn't get passive-aggressive and become a critic of his son nor a blocker to the process. No, he rolled up his sleeves, began to work for providing what was necessary, and the Lord, the Lord and his work was more important than his ego and who got to build it. All this was made clear to me in writing, David said, from the hand of the Lord and all the work to be done according to the plan. So once again, here we see God. Who's the mastermind? God. It's his plan. He revealed what he wanted done and ensured that the plan was written down. 1 Chronicles 28, and David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do it. Sometimes we need that kind of shot. All kinds of fears come up. All kinds of critics. All kinds of this. All kinds of that. You need to be strong and courageous. when you are going to follow God into doing something like this for him. Do not be afraid and don't be dismayed for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He won't leave you or forsake you until all the work of the service of the house of the Lord is finished. So David encourages his son, fires him up, and assures him of God's presence and help throughout the entire program. Friends, we need to hear that. First Chronicles 29, 3, Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have treasure of my own gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I will give it to the house of my God. So while in the first run, David took kingdom resources of his kingdom, now he had his own personal money. And he gave liberally out of his own personal, personal wealth on top of all that he had already provided. So David put money where his heart was and on God and his house, the place where God was going to manifest his presence among his people. This was over and above what David had already done and as a good law-abiding king would have carried through all of his tithes. So this was over and above his tithing. He wanted to do that for God because of his passion for the Lord and his house. Devotion moves us to give, not guilt. John Maxwell said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And that is so true for the church and the Christian who loves God. You can, give, you can throw some money in a, an envelope or do something and have no love for God. But you can't love God without giving something to Him. We just can't. You know that with someone who you deeply love. You just got to do something for Him. You got to buy something for them. You got to do something special for them. That's what love does. Verse 29, or chapter 29, 5 and 6. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today before the Lord? So, this is what is asked of the people. Then the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings, as also did the leaders of the tribe, the commanders of thousands and hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. Here's a little principle for you and for me then you will never willfully give if you do not first consecrate yourself to the Lord. This act of consecrating was in process. They were consecrated. Who will be consecrating themselves to the Lord so that they will offer willingly? Those two go together. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, about the Macedonian believers, they had much affliction, they had deep poverty, and uh, they begged to be involved in the giving to the needs in Jerusalem. And they gave beyond their ability. How did they do that? How could they have done it? The secret was what he says, consecration. They first gave themselves to the Lord. When you give yourself fully to the Lord and his leadership and his lordship, when you surrender all of who you are, that makes giving a little bit easier. So it's in the surrendering and dedicating of ourselves wholly to the Lord that you and I will be able to offer willingly of your resources to God and his purposes. Then, wasn't this cool? We see the leaders went first. Leaders went first. and That's the way it should be. We go first and then we invite the people to join us in what God has planned to do. And this just not blowing smoke. I don't know if it's in there, still in that safe, but I wrote a check that's bigger than I've ever written in my entire life. And it's sitting there. And I'd ask you and all the leaders to join me in that. And then leaders go first and we do it. This was cause for great joy. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly for the whole heart, uh, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. And David also rejoiced greatly. So this was a cause for a great celebration. Uh, It's not totally clear who they were because they had given willingly. Uh, Was it after seeing the leaders give that the people rejoiced and then they gave willingly? Or was it that the people rejoiced that the leaders gave willingly? Maybe it was the latter. It was encouraging to see the leadership step out, not just expecting people to do without them not doing it. And it also caught the attention of the king, and it caused him to worship greatly. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. David couldn't hold back. So in the presence of the assembly, he breaks out in prayerful worship. And his prayer teaches us something very, very important. Not only does God get the credit, but everything in heaven and on earth belongs to God. Everything. Both riches and honor comes from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Listen, church. Wealth, money, resources, come from God. Any honor we receive comes from him. He rules supreme over all. You say, no, I work for this. Who gave you the brains? Who gave you the creativity? Who gave you the energy? Who created the situation? How is it that you were born at this place and this time in this world right now to step into something like that? You had nothing when you came in, and I've done many funerals. You're going to have nothing going out. You, you are in debt from the beginning. It's all God's. He loans whatever you've got to him, all the wealth in the earth, all of the gold, the diamonds, the silver, everything that's in this world, even yet discovered, it's all his. And you may get some of that, and God will loan it to you. He'll give it to you for his purposes, and he's going to give it to someone else when you're gone. It hit me, I was sitting there in my mom and dad's condo and I'm looking at all of this stuff. And we're talking as his family and most of the family hardly want anything. I went home and I was a little nervous and I went up to get some coffee and opened a drawer and I have three different cupboards throughout the entire house with my collection of Starbucks mugs. <laughs> and I looked at that and I said... Are my kids gonna want all this stuff? <laughs> and that's gonna happen to you. Everything we have comes from God. It's all His. It's not He gave you knowledge, skill, education, hard work. He gives it even to believers, unbelievers, he said to all. It's called common grace, see, theologically. And David expresses that gratitude. Verse 14 and then 16, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and you and of your own we've given you. Think about this. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for the building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. We think we're giving our money to God. Biblically, theologically, what is spiritually true for the believer in Jesus Christ is that it's all God's. He's given it to you, and you give to him for his purposes of what you're giving him his money. Here's the miss, and I believe, I, I believe in tithing as a baseline, but I'll tell you this. Here's the miss with that. Most Christians then think, God's got 10%, 90 percent's mine. It's all his. It's all his. So, again, he acknowledges that all resources come from God, and man, it's incredible that we get to give back to him what he has. All of it. It's amazing. Verse 17, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all things, and now I've seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously with you. See, God knows the hearts of all, and he tests the hearts of all. He loves uprightness. He loves righteousness. He loves godliness of motive, and David gives testimony to that his heart was pure. His motives were right, why he gave and how he gave. And then he advocates for the people and he says their hearts and motives were true in why they gave and how they gave as well. And it was evidenced by the freedom and the joy they had in their giving. See, it's beautiful. I love that when motives are right. Then David said to all the assembly, bless the Lord your God and all the assembly, bless the Lord. It all results in worship to our God. So what do we learn from God's building programs? Just very quickly, going to highlight, and I mean quickly. There are some learnings we're given from God's building campaigns. They're not terribly profound, but it's good to understand them and really align our lives with them. And we would do well to embrace them fully by faith. The first one is this. God takes initiative to reveal his plans. He always has. Even back in Nehemiah, remember when he wanted to go and he wanted to rebuild the wall and he goes before the king? And chapter 2 reveals what happened during the days when he was praying and fasting. He, said, he says to the Lord, uh, you know, about all the things that you put in my heart to do. So it was God's idea to rebuild the wall. He put it in Nehemiah's heart, so he then mustered up the courage and then went and asked the king. In the tabernacle, God told Moses. In the temple, God told Nate, David through Nathan. In the rebuilding of the wall, it was Nehemiah. And on and on and on it goes. God always speaks to his people and takes them. He's always a step ahead of us. We think it's our ingenuity. God is the true owner of all resources. Again, God owns everything. The earth, the heavens, the gold, the silver, the diamonds, the oil, all the resources that are, there and are yet to be discovered. It's all his because he's the creator. And until this issue, I've got to say this very, 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 just here, this one. Until you personally resolve this issue that God owns everything I have, you will forever fight him about money. You just will. When I was in B.C., I remember uh, I was preaching one day, and I went to a, a guy in the church, uh, and I dropped him 150 bucks, and I said, hey, when I call this sometime in the thing, just... Just jump out of your seat and come up and give it to me, and then don't say anything. Go back to your seat, and I'm going to keep preaching. So I was, I was preaching way on and stuff, and I said, oh, I said, oh, no. I just realized I forgot my wallet, and I'm supposed to take this big family out for lunch. Can somebody spot me 150 bucks?" Bill jumps up, runs up, gives me the money, put it in my pocket, and he goes and sits down, and I keep preaching. People are like like this, right? At the end of the sermon, I said, you know why Bill jumped up and ran it? Because I gave it to him. And when I asked for it, he gave it back to me. Until you see it as God's, you'll fight giving it back to Him. He's the owner. If you only embrace the fact that it's His, then a major victory over finances is won. Here's the third thing God gives us His resources to his people. He distributes his resources to his people as he wills for his purposes. He's the owner. Believers are the managers of his resources. The Bible calls them stewards. Steward is the old English word for manager. There's parables about this and Jesus taught about, you know, stewards. And we are given different amounts to manage according to our ability. And then we're accountable to him for how we managed his resources. They're all his. He gives them to his people And he provides for his people, his purposes through us. God provides and trusts us with his resources for his purposes. So his work gets done with the money he gives us. And then he prompts his people to whom he's given the resources to invest in his plans and purposes for his glory. And he'll bless them if they do. So that's basically how it all works. God has plans. He owns it all. He gives it to us, and when He calls for it because He wants to do something, we get to do it. He accomplishes it through us using His resources. Where God guides, God provides. He always does. When God's in it, He'll supply it. And he does it through his people, whom he's resourced with his resources to do his ministry for his glory. So we give generously because home is here. Home is here where people encounter the presence of Jesus, where they're going to grow as his intentional followers, who are going to love our inter- intercultural family, who are going to be equipped to serve in his mission together. So for us at Summit, at this stage in our journey, we will release resources that God has given to us for his purposes. And we give generously and freely and willfully because home's here and it's his plan. And he's blessed us with this property at 1750 where people will encounter him. Where they'll grow into his his intentional followers. Where we get to love each other as a growing intercultural family. And where we'll be equipped together to serve in his mission. He's going to meet us. He's going to speak with us. He's going to teach us his ways. He's going to pour his spirit and his love out on us so that we will be a blessing to people both on this property, to one another, and this region, and even around the world. Friends, will you pray? Nothing heavy handed. Just asking you, will you pray? ask Jesus what amount of his resources would he have you invest that he may abundantly provide for all of the work to be completed on the barn and the road that's all i'd like you to do and i trust the holy spirit to lead you and i encourage you to think through these principles that you would allow when the Spirit says, I remember we were sitting there in Cambodia, Leah and I were talking about it, and uh, I said, you know, I want to give to this. She says, yep. I said, have you thought about how much? And I said, yep. She says, what do you think? Scary. Never given something like that before. God's in it. He said, what do you think? She said, well, I was thinking a little bit less. But she said, I think so. So I came home, wrote the check. I can't tell you the joy in my heart to do something like that. Because we waited on the Spirit, He gave us a number, He gave an affirmation, and we give it joyfully. Could I have used that? Yep. Should I have socked it away? My advisor was not pleasant with me. He wasn't happy. He thought I should have sat down with all the retirement stuff first. And I told him this is non-negotiable. And it's with joy in my heart that I do. I just invite you to do that same process. And whatever the Lord leads you to do, do it freely and joyfully and willfully. Okay? Because I believe that through all of us, God is going to resource and provide for all the work. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, you are so good. And I thank you for these examples that you've recorded in your word to teach us and to help us. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to your people no guilt, no pressure may they just joyfully and sincerely wait on you over this week and ask you, Jesus, what would you have me do over and above my regular giving for the work that you have planned? And Jesus, we pray that you would more than meet the need. I know we set a goal for 500,000. We know that we're you know, creeping up. We're creeping up. Lord, I pray that you would just bless and bring it all in. Nothing I'd love more to stand up and say, stop. You can do that again. So, may in freedom and joy, with love and worship and trust and great faith, lead each one of us to what you would have us do for your glory, because home is here. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 <laughs> I love that. You know, my last church, it was very vocal, right? I don't know, maybe it was the Wild West. I don't know. But uh, I tried once with you guys here, and, you know, saying amen to a preacher is like saying, sick him to a dog. You know, so, hey, can I bless you? the Lord, the Provider. And when I say bless you, I mean bless you in every way. I pray He he bless and provide every single need you have financially. I really do. I pray He blesses you. I pray He keeps you in that, though. There's some great dangers in having more than enough. As the Scripture says, lest we forget Him. May He keep you. Faithful and focused. May he cause his face to shine on you. May you just sense the affirmation of his presence. May he fix his attention on you. You're not just a machine to give, you're a person whom he loves dearly. And may he give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you church. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed. one, two, three.
1: good morning everyone welcome to church this morning let us rise and give praise to our god In Psalm chapter 34, verse eight, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack. we
2: Good morning, Summit family. It's good to be back here and worshiping the Lord together. And it is such a beautiful blessing, and just especially as we approach this Advent season and Christmas around the corner. And just to sing these Christmas songs and posture our heart before our Lord and Savior, it's a wonderful, wonderful blessing together as a family of God. Uh, for those who have, haven't heard, uh, my wife, Florence, uh, gave birth to a baby son, Evan. So about a month ago, actually. So... We're super happy. We feel the love from the Summit family. We know we're being prayed for and uh, well-supported, and we're very, very blessed. So thank the Lord for that. Hallelujah. So let us uh, unite our hearts with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you are the God, our provider, and the one who watches over us day after day. We thank you, God, that your mercies are made in the morning right through the night and you take good care of us with your abundant provision, with your abiding presence and your faithful and steadfast love. We thank you, God, that you are a God of covenant love and your everlasting covenant of peace endures forever. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy and your compassion and how you show us your love even through the family of God. So, Father, thank you for everything you've given us that we can be together as a family. And we thank you, God, that you continue to ga- take good care of your children, and we thank you today. And Father, I take this moment to pray for uh, my Aunt Ali, uh, who had passed away. God, we pray that uh, you would bring comfort and gr- and uh, peace uh, to the people that are, are grieving during this time, especially for those that do not know you, that they would come to, to know you and that you would open up their hearts to uh, The message of truth and grace that you bring forth, especially during this Christmas season, many of which do not know you. And we pray that you would open up their hearts and their minds, that you bring comfort, that you bring strength and peace uh, that this world can never give and that you would open up, open up their hearts during this time. And Father, we we pray and we unite our hearts to pray for Richmond Hill Christian Community Church during this time, for Pastor Ho Ming and Pastor Stephen Foltz. We pray that you continue to anoint them and bless them immeasurably, so that their hearts would be overflowing with great joy, and that you would carry them through this season, and that you would anoint their teachings and all their ministry initiatives through every program, that it would be a vehicle to bring the good news, to bring your blessing upon those who are in need and for those who are in need of encouragement and inspiration. So, Father, thank you for the blessing that they are. Together as one church, we pray your special blessing upon them and that they would reach the community at large to the ends of the earth with the good news of the gospel message. And, Father, we also pray for the Inca Link ministry in Peru, and we pray, God, that you would continue to bless Alex and Hoka as they faithfully serve you. We pray, God, that you would continue to provide for their family, especially with the the new children. We pray, God, that you would continue to watch over them through every ministry that they're involved in so that every man, woman, and child would be blessed in and through the ministry initiatives that they are a part of and that you continue to provide encouragement that they need, faithful servants to walk alongside them, and that you would enable them and train them up so that they too would train others to, to serve in the community and bless all the, the ministry initiatives that they're involved with. So, Father, bless the, their Bible teachings, bless their prayers, bless God, each and every word, thought, and deed so that it would be anointed by your grace, and may we pray for your continued, continued protection upon them as you use them mightily. And so, Father, we pray for the message today through Pastor Jerry that you would anoint his lips by grace and that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive your word today. And may you encourage us, inspire us anew and afresh through your word. And may we sit silently and wait quietly before you uh, to listen to what you have to say. And so, Father, thank you for this moment in time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. So in this month uh, leading up to Christmas, many Christians actually follow a tradition that we call Advent. And the word Advent actually means coming or arrival. And the month of Advent is actually focused on coming of the Messiah, which means king or the anointed one. In homes all over the world, families observe this Tradition, many with an Advent calendar, and sometimes as well an Advent wreath and Advent candles as well, as you see behind me. So the roundness of, the, of this wreath reminds us of God in his eternity and in his endless mercy. And the greenery reminds us of the hope that we have in God, the hope of newness, of renewal, and eternal life. The burning candles remind us of the coming of Christ as the light of the world you may have noticed there are five candles and every week leading up to christmas and then on christmas day we will light one candle so the first candle is actually called the prophet candle and this candle represents hope it is the hope of people living thousands of years ago waiting for the messiah and we read about it as it was recorded in the old testament in the prophet or the book of isaiah for to us A child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The prophet Candle also reminds us that Jesus promises to return to us one day. In the New Testament, in John 14, verse 3, Jesus says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And as we look at this candle, we can celebrate the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. So I'll light the first candle here today.
0: It's so good to uh, gather with the church. And um, we are um, just excited in this Christmas. We just did a child dedication earlier in and service. Just think about the family nature of the church. One thing about every family is that every family needs a home. And uh, for those that don't know, um, we used in our journey nine different Sunday morning locations for our services, including when we had midweek church service for believers in our earlier days. So that brought us about up to about 13 or 14 different places that we've used as a church family. Then we were in the school, as you know, at uh, Richmond Green, and then COVID hit. And uh, so they closed their doors to us. We went online for a few years. and uh, And then we... We wrestled with that and we tried different things. Schools opened back up and they said you can have one room and that would be a gym and that's all you could use. And uh, then they jacked their prices up about $650. So at 2250 every Sunday morning, we felt like, okay, uh, it's time and our elders made a decision. We're so thankful that home is here. 1750 is our home and it's time to bite the bullet and we're going to stay. So um, we're really excited, and we're making do with what God has given us. Excellence is doing the best with what you have. And I am really thankful for our teams for what they've been able to pull off in a machine shop. It's amazing. The technology to be able to do what we do online and uh, all that's gone on. And then we made the courageous decision that, you know what, it's time to, once everything got done and the uh, approvals came through from the site plan that it was time to actually do something, but wisdom prevailed that we were gonna leapfrog, and we decided that we would, instead of going in the major build that's coming in a few years, we would renovate this barn and make it very suitable for our services. We heard you, we listened, made many adjustments to it, including washrooms and things like that. And it's gonna be nice, warm and cozy, but it's not gonna be the end deal. It is going to become a phenomenal multi-purpose facility for our youth, for all different kinds of ministries, and even for community rental services and stuff like that, ministries to our community. Because you know, there's sometimes there's tension about who you rent your sanctuary to and all of that. We got a great spot. We can serve our community. So I'm just so very, very thankful. But in the meantime, uh, no question about it, 1750, home is here. And I am just really, really, really grateful. Now, I'm trying something that I've never done before. So uh, you're gonna be guinea pigs. Uh, Well, actually the first group was, and uh, we'll see how it goes. I've never sort of done this way I'm gonna teach this today. And uh, so what I'm gonna be doing is we're gonna be looking and taking learnings from God's first two building programs. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm not talking creation. That's like the king of all building programs. But God actually instigated and led two different building programs. Now, before we kind of just get all uptight and say, oh, man, like that's Old Covenant, Old Testament stuff. Remember this, in the New Testament, it says this, that these stories were written for our instruction in our example. There is principles that we can pull out of stories that we read in the Old Testament. And so we want to look at the two building programs that God has initiated and what are the things we can learn from that. And I just want to say before we go on, just everybody relax. Uh, people were surprised about how guilt-free and just enjoyable it was. So just come along on the journey, okay? And um, guilt is never a good motivator uh, for people to engage in stuff. So We just want to just learn because I think God wants to encourage our hearts. He's got wonderful things to teach us theologically. He's got wonderful things that he wants to teach us practically uh, through this. So we're going to look at his two, and I'm not talking about the Noah's Ark either. And I'm talking about two of them. The first one was the tabernacle. The second was the temple. And so we are going to look together. God's building program number one. The tabernacle. The tabernacle was an intricate kind of a, a structure that had many different features to it. It was a kind of a very elaborate tent. It was substance to it. There was internal structure about it. It was beautiful. It had very, various segments within it, but it did have the capacity and took some effort, though, to take it all down, wrap it all up, transport it to a new location, re-erect it somewhere else, but we want to learn about tracing it through another number of chapters, starting in Exodus chapter 25. And what I'm going to do is i going to go through a number of chapters, like lots of them. But please relax. I'm not going to do what I did in John. This is going to be the 10,000-foot version as we look down and hit some highlights along the way as we're going to pick up the stories. And I'm omitting a lot of stuff where that God does something, and then we have lots of chapters about how this was repaired in the temple, and this was repaired, and this was repaired. And then we're going to pick it back up where the, the main story sort of goes through. Are you are okay you, are you, come on this journey? Okay, I think it'll be better than you think it is. Here we go, Exodus 25. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they may take for me a contribution. For every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. So God tells Moses to address the people, exhorting them to give to his building project, but they were to receive the resources from those who are moved to do so. Verse 8, And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you, concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. So God reveals this whole plan that was to be built. It was God's idea, and he was gonna create a place where he could set apart a place where he could meet with his people, where he would manifest his presence to them in a consistent way. And God was gonna show Moses exactly how to build it. Verse 22, and there I will meet with you. There, where? In the tabernacle. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people. So in this dedicated space, God was not only going to meet with Moses, but he was going to speak with him. And this dynamic encounter of God's presence and God's direction, we're going to come together where a place where heaven met earth. And the privilege of hearing him speak and then giving his word to the temple. We'll jump ahead to chapter 29, 43. And there I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. So it wasn't just for Moses now. It was now for the people. And he was going to set it apart, make it holy unto his purposes by his very glory. I will dwell dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. So he promises to dwell with them, to connect with them, to be with them and show himself as their God. Now pause button. Could God meet with and manifest his presence outside of the tabernacle? Yes. Yes. Could God speak to his people outside of the tabernacle? Absolutely. But the mistake that most New Testament Christians make is this they think that because God does not dwell in temples made of hands, they think that it means that God doesn't manifest his presence at all within them. That's a mistake. Just because he can do it outside the building does not preclude nor prevent God from desiring a dedicated space for the gathered people of God to worship him, experience his presence, hear him speak, and be instructed. So, even back, if you think about when we're going to talk about the temple in a a bit, we're not going to talk about this verse, but when it was dedicated, what did Solomon say about this grand place? He said, the highest heavens cannot contain you, let alone this house I built." They knew. They knew that God wasn't limited to a building. But it also meant that it didn't mean that God wouldn't manifest himself within the building. Does that make sense? Don't make the mistake just to think that because God can't be limited to a building, that he won't manifest his presence in a building. Okay? Exodus 35, 4 and 5, Moses said to all of the congregation of the people, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Whose contribution? The Lord's. It wasn't theirs. It was the Lord's. We noticed that it's not the people. It doesn't belong to them. We're going to see this more clearly later. But the Lord commands people to give a contribution, a financial or material gift, and that those with generous generous hearts are to bring it. This is exactly what's taught in in Corinthians where Paul says, don't do it begrudgingly, but do it cheerfully. This is what he's talking about. Those with generous hearts come and bring it before the Lord verse 21, and they came, everyone whose heart, was, heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all of its services. And so the people respond, their hearts were stirred, their spirits were moved, and they brought resources for the building program that would be, uh, and all that would be needed and be done through it. Verse 29, and the men and the women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord commanded Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. So the people were freely and willfully responding now uh, of what God wanted to do in them and through them. You see, God wants to do something among his people, and he invites us into what he's doing. And God wants to help you to be able to participate. It's a divine partnership where He is going to provide to the people, and they are going to provide for the tabernacle. Chapter thirty-six, verse three, and they received from Moses all the contribution that the Lord, or, or that the people of Israel had brought for the doing of the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. So the people brought the resources to Moses. And then he distributed it to all the workers who were building on the tabernacle so they could keep going. And God's people responded such that they did not just merely want to give the minimum. They wanted to give of their own free will and that kept coming. Now here's what the worker said. The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord's commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do any more for the contribution of the sanctuary. Moses stands up and he says, stop giving. Don't you love that? I love that. Moses finally had to stop. It was amazing. What an amazing experience it must have been to be a part of that kind of a congregation that everybody gave so much and they came and it was all met plus even more. And so they had to say, no more, stop, stop, stop. Imagine our treasurer, John Wells, getting up and saying to everybody, okay, friends, it's enough. No more. Stop the designations to the barn and the road. It's all in and then some. So the people were restrained from bringing their materi- uh, for the material that, they, that uh, they had was sufficient to do the work of the Lord and more. Who's a ridden horse here? Anybody? Has anyone ridden a horse that wanted to go somewhere you didn't want it to go or wanted to take off and you couldn't stop it? Yeah, I've done that too. I kind of had this picture in my mind. It was like the people wanted to keep giving and giving and it was like, whoa, pull the reins back in. Whoa, hold her, pull it back. The people had to be restrained from bringing their resources. There were sufficient for all the work, not some, not half, all of it sufficient and even more so. First, chapter 39, 43, and according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. And Moses blessed the people. And rightly so. I love that. And then the best part. And then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Lord was pleased and he evidenced it by manifesting his presence and he, his glory filled the place. You see, the goal was not a structure. The goal was that the presence of the Lord would come and fill the place, that people would encounter him and worship him and hear from him, be transformed by him, grow in him, become like him, be sent out to bless others. And so, too, with us. And this is God's first building program. Pretty neat. I think it's cool. I I love how the people responded. I love what they did. I love God's perspective and Moses' perspective and I just love that kind of heart. So here's a look at the second one. I'm going look at the second one, and then i can draw a very quick conclusion. The second one's the temple. We pick this up in First Chronicles, in chapter 17, and where the temple or the tabernacle is with Moses. The, tab- the, the temple is with David and Solomon. And so David wanted to build God a temple, but God had a plan to have Solomon build it. So God gives Nathan the prophet a message to speak to David, and he says to him, "When your days are fulfilled to walk in the, uh, to walk with your fathers, i.e., before you die, I'm going to raise up your offspring after you, and one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. And he will build a house for he will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever." See, David, I know you want to build a house for me, but as Sundar taught me, he says, God wanted to establish a dynasty for him. And God always wants to give more than we ever want for him. But this is going to be Solomon's deal, not yours, David. So David said, Solomon, my son's a young and experienced, and the house is to be built for the Lord is, <laughs> must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all the lands. I will therefore make preparation for it, So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. So he took kingdom resources that belonged to the kingdom and he leveraged them towards the building of the temple. Now, it's interesting, when he was told he couldn't build it, it was going to be his son, he didn't get upset that he wasn't going to build it. He didn't get passive aggressive. He didn't become a critic of his son. He didn't become a blocker to the process. No, he rolled up his sleeves and began to work for the provision for what was necessary. The Lord and his work was more important than his ego and who got to build it. Verse chapter 28. And all this he made clear to me, David said, in writing from the hand of the Lord, all the work that was to be done according to the plan. So he's going to give Solomon the plan. Once again, we see the Lord is the mastermind behind this building project. He revealed what he wanted done and ensured it would be written down. Chapter 28. Then David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do it. Don't be afraid and don't be dismayed for the Lord God, even my God is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. So David encourages his son, fires him up, assures him that God is with him. He's going to help him through the entire project. We all need that kind of encouragement. When we launch out to take a step for God to do something, we need to be reminded of the real truth, that God's with us. We need courage. There's so many things that could discourage us and sway us, cause fear. And David says, be strong and courageous and do it. Don't be afraid or dismayed. Chapter 29, verse 3, Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own, of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I will give to the house of my God. So David was a good Jewish leader, and you know that he kept the law faithfully, so he would have provided all of the tithe. He arranged kingdom resources to help build it, and now he does something over and above all of that, and he digs into his own wealth, and he gives over and above that to put his money where his heart was, and that was on the house of God, the place where God manifested his presence. This was his devotion. Because he loved God and loved God's house so much, he leveraged his resources towards it. John Maxwell said something one time. He said this, You can give without loving. You can. But you cannot love without giving. We know this to be true. You know, we can give away some cash and actually not even really like it just to get rid of some annoying person that's at our door. But we can't love people. We can't love a spouse. We can't love God honestly and deeply without giving. That's just the way it is. The story goes on, chapter 29. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? then the leader of the fathers' houses made their free will offerings as did the leaders of the tribes and the commanders of the thousands and of hundreds and the officers of the king's work this is a very important lesson we're going to learn through this we see this we glean from this whole thing is that you will never give willfully and joyfully if you don't consecrate yourself to the Lord this was a process those who were consec- who is consecrating himself today that will then offer willingly It reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Macedonian believers who decided they wanted to give to help out what was going on in Jerusalem. And the scripture says about this young congregation that they had much affliction, they were deep in poverty, yet they begged for the favor of being involved in giving to that need. And they gave not only according to their ability, beyond their ability. How can they do this? Secret he gives is consecration. He says, This they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us. You see, that's the beauty of it. It's in the surrender and the dedication of ourselves wholly unto the Lord that we're going to be able and willing to release resources to God and his purposes. If we stay in utter control, and don't surrender ourselves to his lordship and leadership, then we will, we will fight him. But as we do so and surrender our whole lives, I remember a story one pastor, was, uh, was I remember telling him saying this. He says, I was in a Sunday school class and I was teaching on, on giving. And one person in my, uh, in my Sunday school class was just arguing with me. He did not want he didn't give much he thought the church and he wasn't doing that, and it was, it was really disruptive to the class. It was very, got very, very tense. Anyway, they ended the class, he went into the worship service, and there he stands there singing, "I surrender all," with his hands raised up and." And the pastor thought, "Hmm, that's hard to watch. If we surrender, who will offer willingly consecrating himself to the Lord? It's in the surrender that we'll be able to willingly give. And then the beautiful thing is, we see the leaders went first, as it should be. We who go first, then we invite others to join what God has planned us to do. And I just know even in this little campaign, home is here for our barn rental right on the road, our leaders are taking a step first. In that little safe after last Sunday was a check, we put in there after I had got to be able to talk with Leah and confirm it with her. About how much we we're to give? I said we're leading the church; we we must set the pace and go. And so, we were praying and we sought the Lord, and He said this amount. And then I said, Lord, you know Leah, this is what I think. She thought it would be a little less. Then she said, came back, said, "No, I think that's what the Lord wants." And so, I wrote the biggest check I've ever written in my life to God, ever. Was it scary? Yeah. Was my financial advisor happy? Nope. He wasn't. But leaders go first. You consecrate and give it all to the Lord, and then the leaders step forward. And so the leaders of the fathers' houses, the, the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and hundreds and the officers did that. And I would just say, I would never ask you to do something I'm not doing. And so I encourage you. And in our church, I'm glad for leaders who are godly leaders who take this step out in faith. 29, the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. So this whole giving thing was a cause of great joy and celebration. Now, it's not totally clear who the they are. They rejoiced because they had given willingly. Something that was after seeing the leaders give, that the people rejoiced and the people gave willingly. Many think that it was actually when the people rejoiced when they saw the leaders give so willingly that it encouraged them, and then they stepped out as well. It also caught the attention of David, and it greatly moved him, and he goes to worship. So David then, chapter 29, verse 10, blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, and this prayer is just going to be so impactful for us. Blessed are you, O Lord, for yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. David couldn't hold back, so he just offers this prayer. And not only does God get all the credit, he makes a statement that God owns everything. Everything on the earth is yours. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all, and now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. You see, wealth, resources, money, all comes from God. Any honor we receive comes from God. He rules over supreme. Everything in the earth is God's. All of the diamonds, all the gold, all the silver, all the oil, all the everything that even hasn't been discovered yet. Everything in the earth is God's. And it all belongs to Him. And what He does is He just apportions it. And then you get to use it for a while. And then you're done with it. And, you know, here's what Job said Naked I came into the world, and naked I'll return. I've done many funerals. I don't see any hearses. I don't see any stuff with it. It's all going to somewhere. God's going to give it to somebody else. It was funny. I was thinking about this. I was at my parents' condo, and I'm sitting there, and I'm looking around at all this stuff, stuff from all over the world. You know, it has meaning to them and this and all that, but we sit there, and we talk about it as a family, and like I'm seeing the kids, they are like, what do you? They don't want much. It's all going to go somewhere to somebody and I went home and I wanted to have a cup of coffee and open my cupboard and I look up and I see this collection of Starbucks mugs. <laughs> That's only one cupboard. There's another one on the other side of the kitchen, and there's one in the basement bar. And I'm going, like, who's gonna want these? My like, kids aren't gonna want them. Everything we have is going to go somewhere. You don't take it with you. But God, everything comes from. He makes great. He gives strength. It's not merely your knowledge, your skill, your education, your hard work. God gives everything to us. And he does so even to unbelievers. He says he does it to all. That's common grace. The fact that you are born and you live in this country right now, the fact that you came here, the fact that you're working here, the fact that you're earning an income, the fact that you have the intellect and skill and talents, where did that come from? So often we say, well, I didn't, you didn't do that. You were in debt from your first breath. You were living on God's grace. So David expresses unbelievable gratitude and thanksgiving and praise for all of that. Everything is the God is God's. And then he says this, but who am I and what is my people that we should be, able to all, should be able thus to offer willingly? All this stuff. For all things come from you. And of your own we have given you. <gasps> He's teaching us something here. Oh, Lord God, all of this abundance that we've provided for the building you a house for your holy name comes from whose hand? Your hand and is all your own. Well, it's amazing. Out of what God has given to us, we give back. It's his money, and we just give it back to him. He provided for us so that it would be provided for the building of his temple. All of our money is God's, comes from him, it's his, and it's given back to him. It's like he's resourcing himself through us. Verse chapter 29, 17, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I've freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyfully to you. I just love this kind of a culture in a church. So God knows and he tests the heart, right? He knows the motives. The scripture says that he judges the hearts and the intentions and the, uh, the motives of our hearts. And David gives testimony that his heart was pure and his motives were right in why he gave and how he gave. He also then abdicates for the people around him that actually their heart motives were true and why and how they gave and was evidenced by the freedom and the joy of their giving. I love that. Then David said to all the assembly, bless the Lord. And all the assembly, bless the Lord. They did it. I just, these two expressions of God's people, and you see the willfulness and the joy and the freedom that they gave and all of that, and I think God is just so pleased with that. He teaches about that in the New Testament. So there's just very quickly a few things I want to mention from these two stories, these two building programs, and let's just highlight a few. We're not going to highlight all of them, but just a few things. So quickly, here are some things. Uh, It would do well for us to embrace them. The first thing is this, that God takes initiative to reveal His plans. Too often people attribute to people's ego with building the places to meet with God. But in the tabernacle, it was God's idea. God told David through Nathan, it was his idea. And even in the rebuilding of the wall in Nehemiah, there's a little secret in chapter two that we miss. When David goes and he, he prays and he fasts and then he musters up his courage and he goes and he speaks to the king. But the next chapter reveals something that happened during that time of prayer and fasting. It, he said, he gives testimony about all the things that speaking to the Lord that you put in my heart to do. Even the rebuilding of the wall was God's idea through Nehemiah. And that's just the way it is so often. God speaks to He takes initiative and he reveals his plans and his people listen and hear his voice and they respond to what he's saying. God is the true owner of all resources. God owns it all. The earth, the heaven, I talked about this, the gold, the silver, everything. It all belongs to him. And I want to say this, that until this issue is settled in your heart and in mine, If we don't settle the issue of ownership, I'll just say this. You and I will forever fight God about finances. You will think it's yours, and you'll be thinking you want to part with your money, and it'll always be a wrestling match. But if you embrace the fact that actually it's all his, And if you live then in surrender to Him, you have taken giant leaps forward in being able to release as He directs you. It's a major victory in the fight over finances. Here's the third one God gives His resources to His people, so He distributes them to His people as he wills, for his purposes. And the scripture teaches this in the Newer Testament, too, in the parable of the talents and the minus and other things. God's the owner. Believers are managers or stewards. That's the old English word for manager, steward. And we steward his resources. We're given different amounts to manage according to our abilities. And then we're accountable to him for how we used it and engaged in his interests. And... Uh, God gives these resources to his people to use. And then finally, he provides for his purposes through us. God trusts us with his resources to provide. His work is accomplished through the money he gives us. So we resource his ministry and mission and projects by giving his money back to him. He prompts his people to whom he's given the resources to invest his plans and his purposes for his glory. And he blesses them for doing so. I think that's pretty neat. And these are some of the lessons we learned from God's building program and the conversations around it. Where God guides, God provides. It's his plans, and he always resources them. And I just want to encourage us. This is what makes this saying so true where God guides, God provides because it's through his people that he has resourced them and his res- he's given all the resources available to do what he calls a particular group of his people to do. I believe that. So for us here at Summit at this stage in our journey, we release resources that God has given for his purposes. We give generously because home is here. 1750 is home. And this is where people will encounter the presence of Jesus and grow as his intentional followers, where they will love our intercultural family and are equipped to serve together in his mission. Yes, home is here. And we have the privilege, just like other groups of God's people in history, to be able to fulfill his plans. So I just have a question for you. No guilt? Really, it's horrible, more of I just ask you to do this. Will you pray, asking Jesus, what amount of his resources would he have you invest that he may abundantly provide for all the work to be completed here at home in the barn and the road? That's all i ask you to do. Would you join me and others? Just ask Jesus. Take this week and ask him. Listen to his voice. Be careful for his promptings. If you're married, talk to your spouse about it. And just have the courage. When he prompts you, it's his. He'll bless you. He'll take care of you. You step out in faith. Don't be afraid. And You do what he asked you to do. And that's totally up to you. No one's going to hound you. It's it's grace, because I think in our hearts we're generous. Let's do this, because home is here.